You're about to listen to another inspiring word from House on the Rock Church, the London Lighthouse. For more information and interaction with House on the Rock, please visit our website on hotr.org.uk. Quickly, can you open your Bibles to the book of Esther? Esther and chapter 4. Esther chapter 4. Hallelujah. Verse 10 to verse 14 of Esther and chapter 4. Hallelujah. Let's rise up from the reading of God's word as our good custom is in all house on the rock churches. We rise for potentates, leaders, and the rest. Why not let's rise up for the King of kings, the Lord of lords, um, the second person of the Trinity, Trinity himself, the living word of God. Let me give you just a little bit of backdrop before we read the text. The backdrop is that Mordecai has sent a message to Esther asking Esther to go to the king to intervene against a plot that had been concocted to kill all of the Jews. Now, Esther was about to send a message back to Mordecai. So we read from Esther chapter 4 from verse 10. Then Esther spoke to Hattach and gave him a command for Mordecai. All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that any man or woman who goes into the inner court of the king who has not been called, he has but one law, put all to death except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter, that he may live. Yet I myself have not been called to go into the king these 30 days. So they told Mordecai Esther's words. And Mordecai told them to answer Esther. Do not think in your heart that you will escape in the king's palace any more than all the other Jews. For if you remain completely silent, whew, if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. Yet, who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. For such a time as this. Now, before we judge Esther's initial re response, you must understand that Esther had already uh, knew what happened to Vashti, the person that went ahead of her, because what happened to Vashti was that Vashti was invited, um, was summoned by the king to come to the king's court so that the king would showcase her beauty to the world. And Vashti had refused to go to the king's court, and that had led to her demise. Now, this was the reverse. Nobody could go to the king's court unless being summoned. And now Mordecai was saying, go. He was asking um, Esther to do the opposite of what Washti had done. Even though it seemed to be the reverse and the opposite, the consequences, the possible consequence was as there. Because anyone that came without being summoned would be killed unless the king um, put out his scepter. So, so Esther was naturally concerned about obeying this instruction. Esther might have thought that the reason that she was in the palace was simply to replace Vashti. Or maybe she thought that God had put her in the palace so that she would be able to brag about how God had brought her from the backside to the front side. Or maybe she thought that she was in the palace 
us to enjoy more resource than she knew what to do with. Or simply, she was in the palace for a change of status from poor to rich, rich, weak to strong, sick to healthy. But as true as all these were, they were not the real reason for her promotion. She was raised to her position of prominence for a time of need that God saw was coming for such a time as this. She was a sleeper agent and didn't know it. You know, you know what, what makes a sleeper agent the most, most effective is when the sleeper agent, him herself or herself, doesn't know that they're a sleeper agent. They're just living their life, thinking all sorts of things until there's a wake-up call, until there's a trigger, until there's an activation and all of a sudden the ignorance disappears and everything woo, starts to make sense and the reason for their position becomes clear. Well, I came today with an activation message. I came today with a wake-up call. I came for such a time as this. I came to give you the reason for your position. The simple subject of my meditation is the reason. Help me ask your neighbor, do you know the reason? Do you know the reason? Do you know the reason? Mighty Father, I yield my members over to you. Take control. Speak through me like only you can. Bring liberation. Bring liberty. Bring the lifting of the head. Lord, bring great light, dispelling all darkness, I pray. In Jesus' mighty name we do pray. And the people said aloud, amen. amen. And as you take your seat, ask your neighbor once again, do you know the reason? Do you know the reason? Hallelujah. Well, last week's Sunday was Resurrection Sunday, and we spent time rejoicing, celebrating the resurrection of our Lord and our Savior, the Christ Jesus the lover of our soul, and our preoccupation was also contemplating the reason for his coming. Why did he come? Uh, we read from the book of John and chapter 10 and verse 10, where it said that he came that we might have life and have life more abundantly to the full till it overflows. So Jesus himself here is starting to state to us clearly the reason why he came. He came to give us life and to give us life more abundantly. Hallelujah. Somebody praise the Lord. He didn't come for you to die. He came for you to have life. Oh, Lord Jesus, help me this Sunday morning. His thoughts towards you are not thoughts of evil or of ill, but they are of good to give you a future and to give you a hope. So as we contemplate the reasons for his coming, we start to get excited because we see all of the blessings involved in his coming. Uh, but there is more. He came to deal with the sin problem. We learned that that sin is what stands between God and man. And as long as sin stood there, it demands justice. But Jesus came and he paid the price for our sin so that we could be delivered from sin. In the book of 1 John and chapter 3, verse 8b, again talking about the purpose, the reason why Jesus came, it says, for this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. So Satan
Satan, Jesus came to destroy the works of Satan. Hallelujah. I don't know whether there are any works of Satan happening in your life right now, but Jesus was manifested to destroy the works of the enemy. So if there be any works of the enemy in your life, I take authority over it even this Sunday morning and I declare it destroyed in the mighty name of Jesus. The reason he came, he came not to live, he came to die. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He came to die a very specific death. He came to die on the cross uh, so that he could take our sin. Hallelujah. He could become a curse for us uh, so that we would no longer be cursed. He came to defeat sin, death, the grave, and AIDS. Hallelujah. He came to take our place, uh, to take our sin, to die our death so that we might be able to live his life. Is there anybody grateful under the sound of my voice that he came? Go ahead and give him the glory. Hallelujah. We learned that he came to die. The reason that he had to die is because the will of a testator, the will of a man, does not go into effect until the death of that man. So as many, as great his, his, his will and his desire was for you and for me, he had to die for that will to go into effect. That's what he came to do. He came to free us from condemnation. Too many men and women walk, walking around with condemnation, looking them Look, weighing down on their shoulders. But the word of God tells us in the book of Romans, there is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Is there anybody in Christ Jesus under the sound of my voice? That means there is no condemnation for you. Oh, didn't you read it in the book of John and chapter 3 from verse 16 downwards? It said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should have everlasting life. He says he did not come into the world to condemn the world, for the world was already condemned. He didn't come to bring condemnation. He came to free you from condemnation. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. No condemnation. Somebody go ahead and give God the praise. Hallelujah. Prior to his death, men used the, the sacrifice of bulls, bulwarks, turtle doves, and all sorts of animals to stand in the gap, to, to stand in the gap, to pay the price. But all of these were inferior and at best could only cover sin for a season. But the scripture lets us know in the book of Hebrews that his sacrifice was once and for all. It was the perfect sacrifice. His, his sacrifice did not cover sin. His sacrifice removed sin. Totally cleansed us from sin. This is why he came. Somebody give God the praise this Sunday morning. Uh, and he rose from the dead, we learned. Uh, not, not, not just uh, for any reason. Not just to be able to say, I, 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 I'm the only man that has risen from the dead. There was a, there was a very intelligent, uh, spiritually log logical reason for his resurrection amongst many. But one of it we read in the book of Hebrews when he says that he ever liveth to make intercession for the saints. Uh, now, 
Now, intercession is a legal term. We learned that he died so that his will could go into force. But we know that when a man is dead, even though his will is supposed to go in for, into force, it can end up being tied up in court and debated for many years with people fighting over the terms of the will. And unfortunately, the person that is dead cannot be uh, consulted to say, what did you mean when you wrote the will, but not so with our Lord and our Savior because he did not remain dead. He rose from the dead. So when the enemy starts to contest the will of God in your life, he ever liveth to make intercessions, to say what I said is what I said. I meant what I said. I said what I meant. By my stripes, they are healed. You are the head and not the tail. You are above and not beneath. You are free for he who the Son has set free is free indeed. Hallelujah. He's our great advocate in the heavens, standing up for us, saying, I have paid the price. They are free. Hallelujah. He, he, he died and he rose from the dead so that we would also, right now, right now, right here, be seated with him in heavenly places, far above all principalities and powers. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Religion and tradition has often made, made us uh, look at the purpose of his death and his resurrection uh, as simply about saving us, and it is, and guaranteeing us access to heaven, and it is. Whew, hallelujah. Uh, but if it was only about getting to heaven then we should have been teleported to heaven instantaneously. We accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Is anybody hearing me what I'm saying? And maybe we were. Because the instantaneously you got born again, you came into Christ. And Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father, far above all principalities, and powers. So actually, immediately you did accept Jesus Christ, you were instantaneously te teleported to heaven. Hence, I'm not trying to get to heaven. I'm already in heaven. Hallelujah. Spiritually. I'm seated with Christ right now. I am walking on the earth, but I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places. Hallelujah. But, but we thought that it was just about a, an eternal guarantee of a beautiful by and why in the celestial uh, banisters of glory, heck, that this was the whole purpose of his coming, uh, that this is why it all is. But if that was all that it was about, we should have been teleported, we should have disappeared. Immediately say, I accept you, Jesus, boom, you should disappear from here and appear in heaven. But that didn't happen because there is a greater purpose. There's a greater reason. Whew. So we read in the book of Philippians chapter 3. This is Paul speaking. I'm reading in the King James translation of God's word. Paul speaking in Philippians chapter 3 from verse 12 to verse 14. Jesus, help me. He says, not as though I have already attained, either was already perfect, but I follow after that I might apprehend that for which I was apprehended. Of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things 
which are behind. I reach forth unto those things which are before. I press towards the mark of the price of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Now, you have to note that when Paul penned these words, he was probably already 25 years in ministry. In fact, when you read a few verses earlier than the portion I've read to you, he, in verse 10, he said, that I may know him, that I may know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Now, my question is that Paul, 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 25 years walking with Christ, preaching this gospel of the kingdom, and you are still saying that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Paul, what are you talking about? Because you've been teaching us about Christ all this time, and yet you are still saying that I may know him. He, because we understand that there are at least two, three levels of knowledge. There is the logos, there is the mental knowledge, uh, there is revelation knowledge, and there is experiential knowledge. So I believe that when Paul was saying that I may know him, he wasn't talking about mental knowledge. He had a whole lot of that. He was a Jew of Jews. He wasn't talking about revelation knowledge because he was also a custodian of revelation. In fact, he wrote the book on resurrection. He understood resurrection in and out. He wasn't talking about that. He was talking about experiential knowledge, that I may step into an experiential knowledge of who Christ is and the power of his resurrection. Is anybody hear me what I'm saying? Can I prophesy to somebody that you are going to move out of a head knowledge? You are going to move even beyond revelation knowledge. Can I prophesy you are going to step into experiential knowledge? Because what you have experienced, no one can take away from you. Hey. In fact, when you have entered into an experience, when they are debating the theology of it, the this and that of it, you say, well, I'm sorry, I don't understand your theology. Once I was blind, but now I can see. Hey, is somebody grateful under the sound of my voice? Come and shout, yeah. So then Paul goes on and says, that I might apprehend, that I might apprehend that for which I was apprehended. I know a lot of the newer translations make it a bit simpler, but you know, some of us old school people that grew up on King James, we just love some of the words that King James uses. You know, the new King James said that I may lay hold on that which lay held on me. Yeah, it's all right. But that word apprehend, oh, it's a sweet word. I like it. I like it. I like it. Uh, help me ask your neighbor, have you been apprehended? Have you, have you been apprehended? Have you been apprehended? Help me ask your other neighbor. He said, what does it mean to apprehend, apprehend, apprehend? Um, uh, Pastor God, God's will, can you apprehend your wife, Pastor? Apprehend her, apprehend. You know, oh, is that how you apprehend? Apprehend her properly. Eh, eh. Apprehend, apprehend. It's to lay hold of. It is to, to grasp, okay? Um, the, the dictionary says to apprehend is to arrest. Uh, another de definition says to understand. It says uh, to perceive. The etymology of the word apprehend is uh, linked to French and to Latin, and in the late Middle English, it originally was used in the sense of grasp, to get hold of, physically or mentally. Synonyms for apprehend include understand, comprehend, realize, recognize, appreciate, discern, perceive, phantom, 
catch, follow, grasp, make out, take in, get the drift of, get the hand of, make head or tail of, get the picture, have an an aha, an aha moment, suss out. That's what it means to apprehend. Now Paul is saying that I might apprehend that for which I was apprehended. Oh yes, I've been apprehended by Christ Jesus. I have accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I have beheld his cross and I have realized the import of his cross. I have accepted the sacrifice on my behalf. This has grasped me. This has laid hold upon me. This has arrested me. This has apprehended me. But I'm not going to stop there. Now I want to apprehend why I was apprehended. Because I realize I wasn't apprehended for no reason. There's a reason he apprehended me. There's a reason he saved me. And it wasn't just to get me to heaven. 25 years of ministry, Paul is saying that I might apprehend, that I might grasp, that I might come into the experience of, that I might come into the, that I may be able to suss out, that I may be able to work out, that I may be able to perceive, that I may be able to, 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 to understand why he saved me because my purpose is beyond getting to heaven. Oh, you don't hear me what I'm saying. I came to wake up somebody this Sunday morning to let you know there's a reason that you are, you are saved. There's a call of God upon your life. He didn't apprehend you for nothing. He apprehended you for purpose. If you believe me what I'm saying, come and shout yes. You, you might feel like, who am I? What am I? I'm just, I'm young, I'm small, I'm insignificant. That devil is a liar. You are significant indeed. Jesus paid the price for your salvation. And it wasn't just to save you and get you to heaven. It's because there's a divine assignment. There's a divine job. There is something that he wants you to achieve. There's something that he wants to do in and through you. Hallelujah. You might be going through hell and high water, through a rock and and a hard place, but my God is the God that is able to work all things together for good. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that even the hell you are going through becomes part of your assignment. Oh, Jesus, out of your misery is coming ministry, out of your pain is coming gain, out of your confusion is coming direction. If you believe me, what I'm saying, come and show you. He sensed, Paul, that he had a higher purpose than just being saved and getting to heaven. He sought to understand, comprehend, recognize, appreciate, discern this purpose. And just like Paul, you have been apprehended on purpose and for purpose. And it's beyond getting to heaven. Oh, Lord Jesus. There is purpose after salvation. There's an assignment after resurrection. So resurrection is not an end in itself, but actually a means to an end. And this is why the Sunday after resurrection is a very important Sunday indeed. Because it should be a time where we start to contemplate. So why did he do all he did for me? And what's my part in this? We rightly bask 
in the countless blessings that are ours as a result of his death, his burial, and his resurrection. But we make a mistake if we think that that is all there is to it. In fact, it is a huge mistake when we gather only to be blessed. When our churches become only bless me centers instead of equip me centers. Hallelujah. You see, the tyranny, you know what tyranny is? Somebody <laughs> cornered me, the other said, Pastor Tim, why do you like using all these English words? Can't you just use simple words? I said, be safe, I don't know, I don't know. It's, they just come to me. I, it's not deliberate, they just come to me, all right? It means the oppression. The bullying, yeah, that's simple, ain't it? The bullying of our needs can seduce us into the belief that the church is only for the meeting of said needs. And even the preacher, knowing the reality of how attractive and motivational our needs are uh, to our lives is tempted to abandon the assignment side of the gospel and tailor every meeting only about the needs of the people. Am I talking to anybody? Am I talking to anybody this Sunday morning? But the problem is an incomplete gospel is actually a false gospel. Mm, mm. Did, you, did you get it? I said an incomplete gospel is actually a false gospel. Hallelujah. And in admonishing us not to worry, in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33, Jesus says, uh, Seek ye first uh, the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Uh, Jesus was talking about priority. He was saying, put the kingdom of God first. I'll take care of your needs. He was saying, don't make it all about your needs be met. Rather, will you be consumed about the advancement of my kingdom? I'm scared in the day that we live in where the church inadvertently, legitimately, we have to minister to your needs. But we make a mistake when we don't put the priority as the priority should be, and which is kingdom first, needs afterwards. That's the reason he said, put the seeky first. It didn't say seeky only. He said seeky first, meaning that something will come after, but this must be the priority. I'm concerned where too many churches is all about seeker sensitivity. I understand. I teach it. I, I implement it. But I'm now at a place where I'm thinking that, no, 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 we've got to get this right. It's not that this is wrong. It's that we are putting it above what should be above. Oh, my goodness. We're putting it first when it's supposed to be somewhere down the road. Is anybody hear me what I'm saying? No wonder a lot of churches have become like fast food joints. I came here, I want my 
favorite message. Pastor, you ain't preaching the one I like. I like the one that has to do with this and the one that has to do with that. And we've made it all about us when it's really supposed to be all about Hallelujah. Woo! He says, kingdom first. Like Esther, do not think you are in the palace only to enjoy the goodies therein. Whew. The blessing, the prosperity, the healing, the breakthrough, the open doors, the this, that, and the other. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. I'll preach it, I'll pray it, it happens, testimonies abound. But that's not all there is. You are here on and for assignment. There is an assignment after resurrection. And to start to understand the assignment after re 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 resurrection, we have to look at the various appearances of Jesus to his disciples after his resurrection. The first record of his appearance and people seeing him after his resurrection was when Mary Magdalene went to the tomb with herbs and senses to dress the body and found that he was risen. Whew. This is the first. And then this is where we start to see and start to understand the assignment that follows resurrection because they are told, go and tell that he that they thought was dead is no longer dead, that he is risen. We start to see the beginnings of what the assignment is. It says, go and tell. Now, this is countercultural because in the times that they were living in, the woman's witness was not regarded to be a valid witness. Oh, you don't hear me what I'm saying. In fact, it was such a skewed um, society at that point in time that um, possibly, and there are some people that even still carry that on till today, that before a woman's witness could be accepted, she needed to have 40 other corroborating witnesses saying the same thing. While for a man, all he needed was two or three others to agree with him and his witnesses taken. That's how skewed it was. So it was a strange thing. It was countercultural for Jesus to be telling a woman to go and tell. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I know a lot of people have tried to preach this gospel or paint this gospel in a light that puts, puts women down and says that women are not important. That devil is a liar. If my Lord and my Savior, would, his, first, his first people that he would send on assignment was the female man, was the woman. That tells you that he regards her witness to be powerful indeed. Am I talking to any women under the sound of my voice? He said, go and tell. They might not believe you, but you tell it anyway. You have more influence than you think. Remember the woman at the well. She was at the well, minding her own business, having this interaction with Jesus, 
But Jesus understood her influence, got her turned around, changed her belief system, and she went and summoned the whole city. This woman had influence. Are there any women of influence under the sound of my voice? You have power. You are like Esther in the palace. You thought that you are in the palace for yourself. No, you are in the palace for kingdom purpose. Hallelujah. Go and tell. Go and tell. Go and tell the story. Go and tell what you have seen. That I am risen. Hallelujah. Next account of them seeing Jesus risen was these two disciples that were walking from Jerusalem towards Emmaus. And Jesus was now walking with them, but they did not know that it was Jesus. And then the scripture lets us know that Jesus now expounded to them from the Old Testament to the New that all of scripture was actually speaking about him. And this was starting to get us to see that the assignment would involve our understanding that the central picture of the gospel is not religious dogma, but actually a personality. His very name is Jesus the Christ. And they did not see who he was until in the breaking of bread, their eyes were opened. We're going to break bread this Sunday morning. In the breaking of bread, their eyes were opened and they saw who he was and he was taken away from them. That was the second encounter that we see of Jesus revealing himself having been risen from the dead. I think the third encounter of Jesus being risen to the dead was when Peter had backslidden and gone back to shipping, to fishing, and a number of disciples had followed him to fish, and they had toiled all night, they caught nothing, and then uh, they saw somebody on the shore who shouted at them, said, cast your nets on the other side, and they said, let's obey. This sound voice sounds uh, familiar. But yeah, let's just try one more time. And they cast their net on the other side. And they started to catch a huge drought of fish. And all of a sudden, uh, they added one plus one equaling two. They realized that that must be Jesus. Because we remember when he told us to do this at the beginning of our ministry with him. And now he's telling us to do it again. And it's happening again. Oh my goodness. Uh, um, this, is, this is instructive because he's already starting to hint to us. Uh, that the assignment that I have for you after resurrection is an assignment of catching fish. But, 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 but remember that when he encountered the disciples in that first encounter of catching flesh and fish, he says that you are fishers of fish, but now I'm going to what? Make you fishers of men. Oh, Lord. Then they came to the shore. And when they came to the shore, what did they find? They found fish already cooking on the stone right there because Jesus was trying to teach us that I will supply for your need. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. Even before you have finished all your labor, I already have the supply for you. Can I prophesy to somebody that supply? is coming your way in the mighty name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Peter was ashamed when he was on the shore with Jesus because he remembered how he had denied Jesus three times. And then Jesus called Peter and sat aside and said, do you love me? Jesus, and Peter said, of course I love you. He asked him three times. And Jesus, uh, Peter had to reply three times, Jesus, you know that I love you. I believe that the reason Jesus had him repeat it three times is because he had denied him thrice. He needed him to counteract his denial thrice also. He also wanted... Um, 
Peter to realize that it doesn't matter how far you have fallen, I'm still willing and ready to take you back. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You might have denied me out of pressure, but I'm re still ready to take you back. And he said to him three times also, he said, this is what I want you to do, feed my sheep. So we start to see that the assignment after resurrection has to do with taking care of the sheep of God. And it's not just the sheep that are already in the pen. It's also talking about the sheep that are yet, yet to hear the gospel. Hallelujah. Another time that Jesus appears to the disciples, they were in a room. Thomas was saying, I will never believe that he is risen um, until I put my hand in the holes in his hand and in this, the hole in his side. I ain't going to believe. And then the scripture says that Jesus came into the room without opening the door. <laughs> and he says to Thomas, he said that, okay, here, you see, <laughs> here are the holes. Put your hand in. Thomas was broken. He said, no, I don't need to put my hand anymore. <laughs> I can see that it is you. Jesus said, now seeing you believe. Blessed are those that believe without seeing. Started to let us know that the assignment that follows resurrection is going to need faith. It's going to require faith. It's not just going to be an assignment that you do in your own strength, in your own way. No, you're going to need faith to be able to do it. Hallelujah. Amen and amen. But then we read in the book of Acts in chapter 1, verse 1 to 3, it tells us about Jesus appearing and revealing himself to his disciples for 40 days. For 40 days he was teaching them about the kingdom. Again, this in itself is already showing you that the assignment of resurrection was beyond just getting people saved or getting them saved. No, there was a greater assignment that followed it. And so he was teaching them. And what was he teaching them? He was teaching them the things of the kingdom. He was committing to them the great commission. This is resurrection's assignment. Resurrection's assignment is the great commission. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, uh, and you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be what? Witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The assignment is to be witnesses of the Lord. A witness is one that testifies, that tells what he has seen. Ooh, hallelujah, hallelujah. But he said that you can't be my witnesses until you have received power. Why? Because this type of witness is not just any kind of witness. This is a witness that doesn't just tell he shows. He has power to show what he is telling. The assignment is not to stay. The assignment is to go into all the world. The assignment is to rightly represent Christ to the world, to be his eyes, his ears, his hands, his feet, and his heart. You are called on purpose for purpose. You are meant to be representing him in your sector with excellence. You see, when you are excellent in your sector, you don't have to say too much. Your excellence speaks. Then they ask. And the scripture says that when they ask you, tell them. 
In other words, you conduct yourself in such a way that they have to ask. When they, everybody is panicking and pulling out their hair and going crazy, somehow they see you are just calm, cool, collected. They have to ask. When they ask, they have opened the door. Then you tell. I know now they are trying to put us, on the, put us in the defensive. They ask, we answer, and they say that that's, that's hate speech. That devil is a liar. I, I didn't come to preach. You asked me. So if you ask me, I tell you. Amen? <laughs> Hallelujah. I'm not going to go down that road. We'll have that conversation separately. Amen. Why did he die, be buried, and rise from the dead? John chapter 12 and verse 24 says, Most assuredly I say unto you, unless the grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces what? Much fruit or much grain. Watch this. Jesus is the uncorruptible seed of God's word. And before his death, his burial, and his resurrection, he remained alone exclusive, like a grain of wheat. But once the grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, something happens that changes the whole game. You see, when they were burying him in a borrowed tomb, it had to be a borrowed tomb because he wasn't going to stay there for long, they thought they were burying him, but they weren't burying him, they were sowing him because he's the incorruptible seed of God. And as they, as they were burying him, they were sowing him. And as surely as a, a grain of wheat uh, abideth alone unless it is sown into the ground and it dies. Uh, but then it will come back, but it won't come back alone. Now it will come back multiplied. So when he rose from the dead, he was no longer alone. Now we rose with him. Empowered to be Jesus in our world. So it was one Jesus that went to the grave, but are multiple millions of Jesuses walking all over the face of the earth. So we start to see that the reason was for multiplication. Oh, is anybody hearing me what I'm saying? You are meant to be a multiplied Jesus in your space, in your arena, wherever it is that you are right now. If you believe me what I'm saying, come and shout a Amen. The reason was for resurrection's assignment, and resurrection's assignment is the great commission. The reason was for the propagation of the gospel of the kingdom. So go ye into all the world. Oh my goodness, I, I wish I had time to preach this thing like I feel it. It didn't say go into all the earth, it said go into all the world. The earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. The world is talking about the cosmos, the structures and the systems of men and culture and society. It says, go ye into all of the sectors of the world and preach the gospel of the kingdom. There's no idea the world is coming up, coming up with that wasn't originally in God. And we are now meant to show them how this thing works. 
Is anybody hearing me what I'm saying? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Go tell the world. You are meant to tell and to show. I came to preach to somebody this Sunday morning. You've been sleeping long enough, sleeper agent. It's time to wake up. Esther, you are placed in the palace for such a time as this. This is a wake-up call. He did all he did to position and empower you to spread the gospel. My God is waking up sleeper agents now to fulfill his divine purpose. Hallelujah. And the communion table is also a wake-up call. It's a table of enablement and empowerment. Hallelujah. Amen. It reminds of us of what Christ has already done for us, but it goes beyond that and should remind us of divine enablement to do the assignment that follows resurrection. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's take a moment to pray. Hallelujah. Mahasotoria Badabash. I want you to pray. I want you to pray. I want you to pray for yourself. I want to pray. First of all, just thank him for what he has done for you. Thank him for saving you. Thank him for delivering you. Come on, come on, pray, pray, pray. Pray for yourself right now. And then, as immediately you, you thanked him for saving, delivering, dying, and rising from the dead for you, I want you to now pray, oh God, reveal to me my own part of the assignment. Reveal to me the reason that you apprehended me. Lord, unveil to me my purpose. Bahalia tekaleabosa. Unveil to me my part. Unveil to me the sector you have sent me into. Ambakriabosa. Where I'm meant to represent you. O Koshongariadadesa. Ezombria Carlos. Oh Lord, show me, show me my part. Show me my race to run. Lord, I now realize there are no meaningless details. You placed me where you placed me on purpose and for purpose. Lord, let that purpose become crystal clear to me in the name of Jesus. Rabalados. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Now, brethren, I want us to pray. I want us to pray. Hallelujah. Let's pray for the church. Let's pray for the church. Uh, one more minute. I, let's pray for the church. Let's pray for revival in the church. Let's pray for revival in the church. Let's pray. That we will not just be bless me centers as much as we will enjoy the continual blessing of God. That we will indeed be assignment centers, equipment centers, empowering centers for the purposes of God in our lives. Come and pray it in the name of Jesus. Lord, we pray for revival in our churches. We pray for revival even in this church, Most High God.
Lord, revival, let your revival fire burn in your church afresh, oh God. Lord, let the zeal of your house consume our hearts. Lord Jesus, Lord, even as you unveil unto us our assignment, our part in the assignment, what we're meant to be doing in the name of Jesus. Oh Lord, I'm praying an Esther anointing upon those that need it in their sector, in their arena, even today. I pray a fresh anointing, an Esther anointing is coming upon you to rightly and accurately represent the kingdom where it is that you are. Men and women will come and they will ask you the reason for your faith and your hope. And may my God grant you utterance. May, may my God grant you confidence. May my God grant you boldness to speak the word without shame, fear or favor in the name of Jesus. Reviver, Lord. Reviver, reviver, reviver. We cry, we pray for revival in your house in the name of Jesus like never before. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name, we do pray. Amen and amen. We hope you've enjoyed this uplifting sermon from House on the Rock Church, the London Lighthouse. We hope you've been informed and inspired. Join us for services every Wednesday and Sunday. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at HOTR London. Also, live stream our services on YouTube at HOTR London. For more information, visit our website on hotr.org.uk.